Trying to save your souls from damnation So if you down with the message Tune in every week It will lead you to the message that you seek Uh Season 9, episode 21. Shout out to everybody that's been watching. Shout out to everybody that's been supporting. Shout out to everybody that's helped us to get this far so far. We want to thank everybody that supported our gala last week at 275 Park. Shout out to the Laughaholic. Shout out to um, Ray, the John, and the whole team. Shout out to Kwame. Shout out to Sheila. Shout out to everybody at 275 Park Avenue, located in Brooklyn, New York, for hosting our gala. The gala was awesome. Shout out to everybody that came. Shout out to everybody that participated. You can still donate dollar sign the real word Inc. That's dollar sign the real word Inc. on Cash App. Or you could also donate at PayPal Giving Fund. Or you could go to www.therealwordministriesinc.org. That's the real word ministriesinc.org. Um, this weekend, we're flying out to Haiti to do a missionary trip. So shout out to everybody that's supporting the humanitarian the humanitarian missionary trip to Haiti. Today we have a very special guest in the building today. Introduce yourself, sir. How you doing? My name's Asher. It's great to be here. Um, I'm an electric violinist, composer, producer, and live performer. And uh, like to post a lot of shenanigans on uh, Instagram in my free time. Okay, okay. So shout out to Asher for pulling up with us today. For those that don't know, he's a world-renowned, famous violinist. <laughs> so tell the people about how did you get into music and how did you get into that particular instrument and how long have you been doing it for? Well, uh, my mother got me into music and, um, you know, it's like a little bit of debate as to what exactly happened when I was in diapers. Shout out to all the mama boys. <laughs> yeah, I don't... I don't remember exactly, but I, I do have I do have some really good memories about you know uh, teachers when I was really young, but that's where it really started. The intention was never for it to be a professional career. Um, it just became a way to pay my bills, mm -hmm. to be honest. Uh, while I was working my way through college, and um, turned into a labor of love, and it sort of evolved into this really just just me. You know, uh, it's evolved into this me being an artist and, and sort of expressing myself um, in, in a kind of like a unique way in uh, terms of music that people don't typically listen to. You know, I'm kind of uh, in the classical EDM, classical hip-hop sort of realm. Mm. Usually you have like rappers, you got hip-hop artists, you have like EDM artists. You don't have so much of like a blend and you definitely don't have like instrumentalists being like the, the front and center typically mm. on stage. So that's sort of what I do that's a bit different. Give us an example of that, if you don't mind. 
Uh, so Neon Dreams is uh, like probably the single that lost, launched my independent career as an artist. Mm -hmm. So that's that song you can hear on all major platforms. It's completely instrumental. There's no lyrics. Uh, there's no vocals. I, I don't typically like to tell people what to think or what to do. Mm -hmm. I just like to inspire through the lens of music. So that's you know if you heard that, that's just an example. Um, what are maybe similar artists to sort of illustrate what? Is that what you're kind of looking for? You ever heard that song "Forget About Dre" by Dr. Dre and Eminem? Uh, I yeah, I'm sure I've heard that. I mean, do you know at the very beginning with those arts? <laughs> at the very beginning, they got the violin that goes. Dun, 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 yeah. And it was yeah, like, I mean, and me and Dre stood next to a burnt down house and a handful of mats and a can full of mats. We still wouldn't found out. So here, right now, is the chronic too. Like, do you know that at the very beginning when they playing the violin sound at the very very beginning? It's funny because when you when you talk about Eminem, I I think the that's just I don't know. You could play that too. Yeah. Can you play that song? Um, am I wrong? I can't feel. Yeah. Like that's probably a popular one, right? Yeah. That's how Eminem. That's YouTube. Yeah. Love that that's a popular one, right? Uh yeah. I mean, you can't go wrong with you too. They're one of the most popular bands on the planet. Yeah. At my last company's gala, um, we had a violinist play, and he played that violin until the strings busted, <laughs> like on the stick oh, yeah? thing. Yeah, the <laughs> strings bust on the stick, and he just kept going, going, going. Oh, yeah. And that's one of the songs that he was playing, and he and he did the mix that you was talking about, like mixing the hip hop with the classical. And just making it interesting and bringing your own personality to it. Because I feel like that's what a lot of people lack is the personality. But once you put your personality into it, regardless of what you're doing, it still brings it out. Um, I'll say Yo-Yo Ma is a good example of that. You know, from the name to the way he carry himself to even the music that he plays. It separated him from other, um, other classical music artists. Yeah, he's pretty contemporary. I mean, he's also... Yeah, he was huge in the classical world, but also he made his way into contemporary pretty quickly. He's also a really powerful, influential person. I didn't even realize he was that, like, he's on the board of the ESG, I think, the World Economic Forum, which is, I was not expecting something like that when I read his, the, the whatever, um, the list of people on the, yeah, on that, uh, that board. Yeah. So just, a, just a side note, in case people are interested. No, um, one of my dreams was always to go to Carnegie Hall to watch um, someone play. Um, I'm an alumni of Fordham University, and they have a lot of um, classical music fundraisers that they oftentimes do in the city. And even the other day, we did a paint and sip at um, one of the mental health facilities that I work at, and we were playing Beethoven's um, symphonies, and it helped to set the mood for the women there, you know, in the sense that even though some of them might be suffering from traumatic incidents or dealing with mental health crises or mental health issues, um, the music helped to calm them down along with um, the paint and sip. Um, we, of course, gave them sparkling um, apple cider and sparkling grape juice, you know, <laughs> trying not to give them alcohol because some of them are recovering um, or in recovery. But we see how the role of music plays on people and how it helps to soothe people. Um, so tell us about your experience of how you use m music to heal others. Well, I'm probably like the most, the most notable, or at least memorable, 
like moment that sort of illustrates what you're talking about is uh, during COVID because everybody knows everyone was it was just like this universal depression mm-hmm. around that time people were locked up and confused and frustrated wondering what what's next um not just within the music industry but across the board as you know but so i you know that that, that was around the time that i was sort of thinking okay ready to throw in the towel here mm-hmm. <laughs> gonna gonna go back to i don't know like medicine really because mm-hmm. everybody's just the hospitals were full i happen to have that degree but but I kind of stuck to, to music uh, because that's sort of when people needed needed it most, and they needed somebody to connect to, and they they needed somebody to sort of lift uplift them. Because you know we sort of we think of hard times as just okay that you just need medicine, right? That that'll fix the problem. But mental health is a huge it's a huge deal that's really just under underestimated uh, by society, and the importance of meta- mental health really goes beyond. Uh, anything that, that that drugs can can manage. Mm-hmm. Um, people aren't happy. People don't feel fulfilled. They don't feel connected with each other. Um, then there's kind of no reason to live. So that's sort of like my lengthy explanation as to where, yeah, that that I found newfound inspiration in the importance of music. Okay. Um, through my fans, my fans were like, yeah, I couple couple people mentioned, you know, you you saved my life. I had really hard to believe that. Um, I, I don't see myself as like a, a lifesaver, you know, playing playing uh, singles every week. But uh, that's that's what they said. That's what a couple of people told me, and uh, I, that was deeply touching to me. So, wow, amazing! And you said you also have a medical degree too. I have a nursing degree. Uh, oh, I'm nice. non practicing nurse. I, I went back into music. It was pretty much just doing the same thing for me. So. <laughs> I got my, I got the blessing from my wife, and um, I don't know. One of these days, I might go back into it, but I'm pretty, pretty tied up with music mm. productions and live performances. So I'm guessing being a nurse, you didn't really like it. Um, I can't say I didn't like it. I just things were always already kind of happening in, in music, okay. and I did intend to sort of do a little bit of both, and then. I found that running two races was unbelievably difficult, mm. and I thought I could sort of succeed in both. And and and, and then I realized, like, okay, what am I going to do? Come back at one in the morning uh, from from a hospital shift, and then and then do late night gigs, and it just it just didn't work the way I sort of envisioned it. And um, I don't know, uh, music. I had been involved in music since two thousand one, so mm-hmm. at that point I was sort of entrenched in it. It wasn't so much of a far fetched thing to just stick to that full time. Yeah. So would you consider yourself a successful musician? Well, I, a lot of people consider me to be successful um, in terms of the fact that I am earning full-time income, supporting family. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it, by my definition, um, it's a struggle. It's, every day it's a struggle being an independent artist. Uh, I, think signed, I think artists signed to labels are also struggling, mm-hmm. uh, except for the, the, you know, the Taylor Swifts. <laughs> um, but that's uh, it's a loaded question. Um, I, I think that I've I have uh, you know ways to go to to feel completely comfortable in what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's only been about twenty years, two thousand <laughs> gigs later, literally two thousand gigs later. Uh, but am I where am I exactly am I where I want to be? Um, no, no, I'm not where I, where I want to be. Uh, could I just keep coasting? Yeah, I can. Uh, would I be happy? Um, probably not. <laughs> so. So yeah, um, not not a simple answer to your question, but a, a good question. So on average, how many gigs do you do per week? 
Uh, probably, probably save it a, probably, uh, your artists would get, like, a clear idea as to, like, across, I, I, really, I look at, like, a month at a time and a year at a time. So I do about 200 events a year. Oh, wow, that's a lot. Uh, you know, and then I do collaborations with artists, and I'm doing, uh, doing a lot of stuff in between. You know, I have people constantly ask me, like, okay, so why are you busy all the time? You just, you go out, you do, like, two, what's, what's 200 dates out of 365 days in a year? But that's, that's about enough time to go... You know, go on vacation pretty regularly, but it's not like that. I'm working around the clock. But that's about that's twenty. That's about twenty gigs a month, though. That, yeah, give or take. Some months are a little slower, but on average, that's what that's what I'm looking at. Yeah. Yeah. So that's about one gig a day, then. About. Well, I mean, 365 days of the year. That's not. not it's more like maybe on average three gigs a week or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. About that. About three a week, but that's still not bad. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's enough to, to earn a, a a full living off of um, the live performance aspects. But again, like when you ask my question, when you ask the question, like, am I where I want to be, or or am I am I there? You know, have I reached my my, my expectations? Like, like I'm not, I, I'm working on uh, producing music for movies and, yeah. and sync licensing and that type of stuff. So that's a whole other animal that I'm kind of tackling. Well, that's great because then you have residual income, right? And you could get royalties, or get royalty checks. Yeah, I mean, right now my, my royalty income uh, from live stream is like a joke. You know, mm. uh, it's it's just you can have like a million streams. You make what, like like a few hundred bucks off of that from mm. Spotify. It's not it's not paying the bills. No, that I understand. Uh, yeah, especially in New York, maybe in maybe in Haiti, or maybe in like I don't know somewhere in like uh, where where somewhere outside of the United States. Yeah, you know where where you know the dollars and yeah. You know I mean? have to go further. So. What would be your definition of success? Because this is something that I oftentimes struggle with as well. Like you said, others might consider you to be successful based on their perception of what success is, but your perception and your dreams might be way larger than others may be able to see currently. So what would you describe as a, your level of success that you're trying to obtain? Um, I guess I look at a combination of things. One is my income. Uh, the other one is... Uh, sort of my expectations and my expectations are a little bit at a different place because I've been doing what I've been, I've been, I've been doing like the, the club date scene for, you know, for a long time. So I'm kind of looking, looking for, um, more regular type, type touring schedule that's, that works with being local, which is really complicated thing to do. Cause a lot mm -hmm. of people when they tour, they're going to like the Europe and Asia and all the place. So that's, that's sort of, I, it boils down to expectations. My own, my own sort of imp imposing my own expectations on myself, and mm. that's um, you know that's what I mean by other people may be, may consider me to be successful. Do I consider myself to be successful? That's it's a loaded question. Not exactly, but I'm but I'm, I'm uh, you know I'm skating by. <laughs> that's deep. Um, there's a rapper. He's from New York, Highbridge, um, the Bronx. His name is A Boogie. Um, a Boogie with the hoodie. And his last album was called Me Versus Myself. And I feel like that pertains ex to, to you, exactly. in, in a sense. And it pertains to all of us. Where it's like, the only rubric that you could compare self to is self. Like, yes, there's those that come before you, but you try to be better than those that come before you in order to leave a legacy for those that will come after you. And the whole time he's going through these emotions in the album, where he's going through different things, whether it be friends, whether it be about money, whether it be about relationships whether whatever it may be and he's going through all these emotions and then he's like 
is me versus myself. And he's saying as the album progressed and as his career progressed, he's no longer the same him. And he's dealing with the changes that he's going through and the maturity level. Because when he first started music, I think he was only, he started music back in 2015. Like he's now, I think, 28 years old. So he started like around 19 years old, maybe. Um, so we see the growth within his music. It's almost like growing up on TV. So back to you. What growth have you seen in your music over the years? Well, aside from streams and uh, subscribers, which, uh, to be honest, I, I, I feel a little... I've got a lot of mixed feelings about those numbers because uh, a lot of people see them as vanity, vanity metrics. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like, um, yeah, while, while the, those numbers have grown, um, if I can't directly connect with, with the people that are following me or if they're not necessarily DMing me but mm -hmm. they're sort of passively following me, I don't see that as something that's a deep achievement. Um, but... In turn, but I would say my mailing list, uh, that's something that I've grown over the years, and that's, that is a bit more of a, like a deeper type of relationship with, with uh, the people that care about my music. So I can actually exchange, uh, leave, you know, send them a message, they can send me a DM. Um, so so that, I would say that that's, that's a certain, certain degree of growth. Um, you know, the events that I've been doing, uh, somewhat representative of, grow, of, of the growth that I've achieved, and... Um, uh, the relationships that I've built with uh, m people in the music industry and collaborations, mm -hmm. uh, such as, uh, for instance, uh, Miserloo. It's going to be out tomorrow. Uh, it's a collaboration with two amazing uh, heavy hitter artists uh, out in L.A. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Ginny Luke and uh, Johan Gritschacher, uh drummer. Jenny's, Jenny's an electric violinist and singer. Mm -hmm. uh, she's gone on like world tours uh, with like you know household names and um, has like done recording sessions with for Dave Matthews, you know uh, Bernie Spears, like pretty much uh, um, you know Jay Z, like some really big names. You know Johan Gritschacker's been on uh, the Tonight Show, the the Daily Show, like pretty much you name it. Uh, so the fact that I'm that I've actually brought my music to the level that that has allowed me to collaborate with these artists um, is uh, deeply, I would say, it is an achievement that I, I'm I'm proud of. Um, so I, I think that that's one. Uh, that's another example of, of where I think I've, I've seen growth uh, as an independent artist. Um, I think there are a lot of different things. I, I use a lot of data to figure out what am I growing or am I shrinking. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I look, kind of look at the numbers. I look at what people are willing to, how interested they are in me, uh, where they're where they're flying me out to, uh, uh, the, like the frequency of calls, um, how much they're willing to pay, that type of stuff. Mm. Do you ever upcharge after a certain amount of time, or have you been consistent with the same prices? Uh, when it comes to working with like the same booking agencies or vendors, uh, I try to keep things stable, uh, just so that they're. Just so that their expectations are the same and, and that they can continue to have confidence in me as somebody that I work with, that that they work with, um, I, I, you know, I, I don't have flat rates so much. I sort of have like a minimum. Mm -hmm. uh, people people reach out to me all the time. They're like, "What's your rate?" And I'm like, "Okay, well, what's the event? How 
how many guests, uh, what am I doing, uh, you know, am I standing on my head, <laughs> like am I performing with break dancers, whatever. Uh, where am I flying to? There's just a lot of variables involved, okay. and it kind of boils down to, is, you know, if I'm committing a certain amount of time to an event, what am I giving up in turn, and what should I be, what, what is that time worth to me? So, mm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, we would love to have you at our next event. Like, I think that will be dope. Um, I looked at your numbers on YouTube. I didn't look at your numbers on Spotify, but you did have a decent amount of numbers online. I can't say that, like, you know, I myself am a number person, too. I focus on the analytical data. Um, we were fortunate enough to get the Google Analytical Grant um, when we first started for nonprofits. And it, it helped me to understand data more. Um, it helps you to understand your core audience and where they're at, um, which countries they're at, the age, the demographics, and even at work, I run the daily demographics daily to see which clients are there, um, and the information about them, which I send out to the workers. So analytical data is very, very important. Um, you also mentioned, um, working with other musicians that's worked with big name artists. What big name artists would you like to work with if you can work with anyone? Um, are, are you going to connect me with them? Um, I'll <laughs> try my, nice, you know? I'll try my I best. Will be very, I, I will be very careful about that. Um, you ever heard of, you ever heard of six yeah. degrees of separation? Um, sounds really familiar. Um, I don't think I'm intimately. Okay. I'll break it down for you. Um, everybody's con every, everyone and everything is connected within six people, right? Um, oh, I thought that was like a band. Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry, um, misunderstood. No, it's analytical data applied to real life in, in this reality, yeah. not not only LinkedIn. the matrix. Yeah. So basically, yeah, kind of like LinkedIn, you can say. They're all about so, that. so basically, let's just say me and you are friends, right? You might have a cousin that has a brother, that might have an uncle, that might have a friend, that might know someone else who's Joe Schmo. I'll give you an example, right? Um, one, it don't even got to go all the way up to six degrees. Like, um, one day... Um, I had a friend, he introduced me to a doctor, the doctor knew about this meeting that was going on in Long Island, I went to the meeting mm -hmm. out in Long Island, I met this lady, um, she owned Snaps Media Group, and about two months ago she told me she was having dinner with the president's wife, so you know, that's six degrees of separation, so, yeah, yeah. so from my yeah, friend, some, so from my friend to the doctor to the lady to the president's wife, from the president's mm -hmm. wife probably be the president, that's five, so something like that, you know. Um, and I've been applying it a lot, and that's how I've been able to meet celebrities. Um, you know, just getting into a room, you might show up to one place, they might invite you to another place just because they like you. Because they like you, they invite you somewhere else, you might meet someone else. Again, like the lady, she invited me to um, a country club. The country club was a golf classic for um, Geraldo Rivera. From going to there, we went to another um, event, and Bill O'Reilly was there. From there, we went to another event. And we met some old boxers like Michael Spinks. I don't know if you know Michael Spinks. He got knocked out by Mike Tyson in the first round. Olympic well, gold medal boxer. That's a claim to fame right there. Yeah, so so it's possible. Like that's why I asked the question. So who would if you I like got to meet? Out, if I got punched once by him, I'd be in the hospital for like three months. Probably. <laughs> I'm lucky. Uh, uh, so I have to think carefully about this. I, I mean, the first person that comes to mind is. One or two, actually, uh, artists that are in the similar vicinity of what I do, because mm -hmm. I feel like um, you know, th there's. I, I guess because it's it's like people. Okay, 
I should just cut to the chase. Uh, something like Lindsay Sterling. Uh, she's we're in a similar genre. Mm -hmm. I'm in a similar genre to her. She pretty much invented the, the genre mm -hmm. uh, as an electric violinist and mm -hmm. like dancer that type of stuff. She's unbelievable. Uh, I, I would I would be honored to like to perform with somebody like her. Uh, David Garrett. These are legends mm -hmm. uh, that I. Um, that have really, you know, two cellos. Uh, these are people who have two cellos, really like two cellos, yeah. Oh, two cellos, and we got two chains. <laughs> <laughs> uh, two cellos, yeah. So I don't know if you're familiar with two cellos. It's more like no, I only know two like, chains. <laughs> Do you know I mean, two I'm chains? <laughs> Do you know two chains? Um, yeah, yeah, a little bit different. Two, two cellos. I mean, they sort of like do pop, uh, pop. Uh, classical type of stuff. Cool, um, cool, cool. A lot, a lot of the, the stuff that I would do. Um, and I, I'm actually curious who the, who the violinist was that performed at your event. Mm. I mean, I'm putting you on the spot there. Like, if you, I don't remember but, his uh, name. I don't know him. What's that? I don't remember his name, but I could get okay. you his name and send it to you. But I don't like... Uh, He's a black guy. Like, He's tall... A little muscular, a little bit more, more on the husky side. He performed uh, at ICL Gala. That was maybe like two or three months ago. I forget his name. Uh, I'm wondering if like someone like D Sharp or something like that. He's he's also like he's. It could have been him. Pop, pop hip hop violinist. He's also based out, um, in L. A. Uh, and he's awesome dude hilarious. He has a Grammy. I haven't met him in person, but I'd love to. You know, someday. Does he have a Grammy? Um, I don't know if he has a Grammy, but he's won a lot of awards, um, and has a pretty broad, re broad reach. Uh, it, and he's really like he's just he's really um, he, he's really he's he's elevated sort of or he's he's brought the violin to the masses in many ways. Yeah. Like he's gotten people people that typically just listen to rappers or singers. They're interested, like they're into the violin, which is it's not so easy to to get people into an instrument yeah. uh, as a sort of like the main thing. Just just because uh, the, the main, not the mainstream media, but the, the major labels haven't really pushed it so much. Mm. There's Mary Vianari. We sort of had, we 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 had, we worked for a lot of similar event companies over the years. I don't know if you know she is. No, not too sure. Um, yeah. But what I would say is you should reach out to these people. Have you reached out on social media? Uh, um... I should. <laughs> I'm too busy. Like I, I, I should. Yeah. Yeah, you uh, should. You know. Now that you've mentioned it, I'm going to. <laughs> Especially, you know, apply for a blue check because for some reason people can't. People seem to talk to you more when you have a blue check. I don't know why, but once you get the blue check and you got a decent amount of followers, you could speak to almost anybody and they'll respond to you. Yeah, you know, blue check is like a pay-to-play thing, and, and I guess a lot of people are kind of anti the blue check because. I don't like on Spotify. I got a blue check. Um, on Facebook, I got a blue check. I didn't have to pay for that stuff. Mm -hmm. Twitter and Instagram, for some reason, I got to pay for that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't. I don't get it. Like, why? Why would that? Um, I might. I might eventually cave, but but it just seems kind of silly. Yeah. Like, it's something that you earn based on on major media picking you up, which has already happened to me. Mm -hmm. uh, they, you know, they should have already done that, but but they're not in. They're not. That's not the game that they're playing now. Did you ever? They lost billions of dollars. Mm. Did you ever do the application to be, be to be verified on Instagram, prior to even uh, the subscription? Uh, yeah, a while back uh, when I was being published in like EDM.com and some a, a whole host of like major media outlets and mm -hmm. magazines, but um, 
It, yeah, it didn't go through. Maybe yeah. I should reapply, but it's even if I reapplied, it wouldn't make a difference because I'm not paying the monthly fee. So yeah, I mean, but if back then they used to charge people to get you verified. They used to charge like twenty thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, five thousand. You remember that they were selling blue checks for a while. Like you would have to know someone on the inside to buy it from them, and then then they had the wait list for a while, and then after if you're approved off the wait list then you could get the blue check I mean it was a whole bunch of politics around that but like I said you know people are vain especially people on social media and they like to see those type of things you know it excites them it it, it elates them for whatever reason and I think within the field that you're at especially like dealing with the upper echelon of people they're kind of snobby and they kind of look for those type of things believe it or not <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've dealt with a lot, a lot of snobs uh, over the years, but uh, I guess I'm not in like the ultimate land of snobbery. I'm like kind of somewhere in that, in that arena. I don't like dealing with snobs. It's really very annoying. Mm. Uh, you know, you kind of want to deal with authentic, genuine people. And yeah. it's, it's a little painful to kind of, kind of like have these conversations with, with people who only have this like business mindset. But I guess that's sort of the game. Yeah, of course, of course. I have to tell you, like when I spoke with a guy like Montesiago, he's been on the top, top charts, um, was on Tonight Show. Uh, sweetest guy in the world. I don't mm -hmm. think he's got uh, much of an ego at all. And I think that there's a lot of artists out there uh, like that. I think guys like the Pentatonics. I don't think that these, you know, they're they're major artists. You know, I don't know if you know who they are. No, the Pentatonics. You think? Actually, touring artists. Um, the Pentatonics. Oh wow. He, the Pentatonics. Um, you know, these guys. Another like. Uh, you know, sort of like a, what's the word? Um, just pe people I'd, I'd love to hang with and just perform with. Mm. You know, Bruno Mars. Uh, I don't know, you think he's got an ego? Bruno Mars, probably, but I don't know him personally. From, he's funny, he's a cool guy. <laughs> yeah, um, well, I don't know him personally, I don't know. Yeah. Be because they could portray one person publicly and privately, they could be a whole different individual. So right. I don't know him sure. personally, so I can't speak on that. Um, Not yet, at least. So tell us a little bit. Months. Yeah. <laughs> so so tell us a little bit about your childhood. Like, where'd you grow up, and how was it growing up? Um, you know, I, I don't have much of a sob story. Uh, it's pretty <laughs> pretty simple, like middle class upbringing uh, in upstate New York. Uh, you know, I, I I'm grateful for my upbringing. I, again, I just all my siblings played instruments, they played like violin, oboe, flute, so that was just like something we loved, listening to music, and uh, I, I was in orchestras as a kid, and I, I sort of was looking for um, something a little like beyond classical, which I didn't get, get from my teachers, uh, and discovering jazz and improvisation was something that really excited me when I was in high school, mm -hmm. and that pretty much got me into the idea that, hey, you know, I can make this a career that, that really speaks to me, speaks to my heart. And uh, when I, once I moved to New York, New York City, went to school, uh, I played, uh, just started jamming out with bands, started getting booked to, to play like weddings and private events, corporate events, and like within a few years I you know, co-headlined uh, some pretty major venues, so just by making connections. Um, so that's pretty much what happened uh, wow. in a nutshell, and, and pretty grateful for it. Wow. What's the biggest venue you ever played in? Uh, Madison Square Garden. Oh, nice. Car uh, Carnegie Hall, uh, Lincoln Center, you know. PBS, I was on PBS. Wow. Yeah. These things don't happen every week, but 
but definitely uh, had the honor of, of gracing some some pretty cool stages. Wow. So tell That's me, it's all downhill from there. <laughs> Why you say that? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. You know, like you, you gotta you gotta laugh a little bit. You gotta laugh, but like, you can't take yourself too seriously. True, um, true. People that people that play, you know, with a bunch of rock stars all the time, go on interna international tours. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's it's not everything necessarily lasts unless you're Billy Joel. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Or again, Taylor Swift, where you got you got a billion dollars backing you, so mm. got to just roll the punches. So, how was it performing at Madison Square Garden and Carnegie Hall, and what would be the difference between the two? Uh, uh honestly, kind of overwhelming, because um, it's you know when, when you're dealing with the sheer numbers, uh, like you know many thousands of people, and all it takes is like some. Uh, some sound guy to screw it up, mm -hmm. you know, not forget to put up the fader or uh, like, I don't know, mess up, mess up the, the output or the game. Uh, it's a little nerve wracking because so many things are moving quickly and there's so many artists and, but uh, it was exciting. Um, each time that I got off stage was sort of like a bit of a shot. It was like sort of like a shot of, uh, you know, Adrenaline? Some drug, because <laughs> you just sort of like get licked down the next day. Mm -hmm. But it's um, it's a high, you know, it's just simply a high. And, um, and then you sort of have to, again, uh, ride the storm. I, I wrote a song about that. Mm. The highs and the lows. Yeah. That, that reminds me of acid. Like a girl once told me that she does acid with some guy. And she told me when you're on acid, it's like all your senses open up. But then... The very next day is like you just crash, and I'm like, why would you want to do that to yourself? <laughs> like, why? Why would you? Uh, and, and, uh, <laughs> because when an opportunity comes your way, uh, unless your wife says absolutely not, uh, <laughs> such as Kygo, um, Kygo's manager wanting to book you, just as an example, which actually happened. Um, oh, and your wife said no. You know, well, you know, it was it's fine. I, <laughs> it was something I really wanted. I got excited about, uh, and it, I was thinking, okay, you know, I'll get a call like maybe in the next year. Didn't it was a one-time thing, and uh, you know, Damn. it's not it's not something that needs to define my career. But uh, uh, when an opportunity comes, knocking at your door, and it's like, how do you say no unless there's a conflict of some sort? Mm. The only real conflict that would keep me back is really like my family. So okay, also oh, you there had to. Go. You had to stay home and take care of the family. Uh, it's a family-related thing, yeah. Yeah, well, a man that right. doesn't take care of his family can't be rich, right? That's what they said in <laughs> Godfather. <laughs> yeah, that's a good quote there. Yeah, man. Uh, um, but, you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah, we're sorry, what are you No, I'm listening to you. Go ahead. Touche. Uh, you know, I... Uh, it's been a nice journey. Uh, it's been a, like a, just the experience has been really eclectic. So it's just been uh, somewhat somewhat unpredictable. You don't always know where what's what's coming next, what's down coming down the pike, and that's some of the excitement for me. You know, I don't know if I'm going to be playing like a, a private event. I don't know if I'm going to be in the Edison Ballroom or you know flying across the country to to Maui, Hawaii. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just it's, it's cool. Uh, I guess that's just sort of my personality. It, it matches my personality. Other people just kind of want a desk job and they want to. To sort of have the stability. For me, I feel like I got one life to live, and uh, that's why I do what I do. I understand, and ironically enough, I work a desk job, and sometimes I want to get up and go. Um, but like you said, sometimes people need that stability, but at the same time, people do want to chase their dreams. 
Um, I think that you're put in a fortunate position where you do have the nursing degree to fall back on, but you also have this successful music career as well that affords you opportunities to have once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. Um, so how how have you been um, paying it forward or giving back? So uh, that, that's something that's that's been a, a gaping hole in my life, the, the giving back part. It's been really difficult to find ways to... Um, give back in a way that um, works with, well, just go ahead. See. I have to be careful about what I say because I, I've done many charity events, many, many charity events um, that I've sort of built relationships with charity organizations. Um, uh, the Special Children's uh, Center, for instance, you know, they, they, they support thousands of, of, of people and uh, uh, individuals that, that uh, with special needs. Uh, that's just one of like many examples. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've done a lot of not, not-for-profit. Like, I'm doing like a uh, UNITAS uh, event, uh, like I mentioned, the Edison Ballroom in New York City, uh, to, to, to fundraise for an organization that, that combats uh, child, child trafficking, which is just absolutely horrendous and, and quite frankly amazing to me that that's still happening to the level, to the level that it is uh, today. So that's another like not-for-profit like charity organization that I've that I've uh, been involved with, mm-hmm. and a number of others. Uh, but I guess I haven't like built this ongoing relationship with uh, the same types of organizations that that really sort of connect with my message. So uh, I guess I guess that's sort of sort of something I've been exploring and sort of trying to take a look at uh, ways to to again build connect with my fans in a way that's sort of uh, works with my music and works with my, you know, universal message of like love and acceptance and, and bringing people together instead of dividing people, uh, pretty much fighting politics, you know? Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the whole, that's the gap. Hmm. So how do you think you can fill that gap? Uh, I'm just, I'm just, struggling to to keep up with the content and the collaborations to to oh, to answer your question simply uh probably to have a, a a manager a dedicated manager that um that, that's that's focused that's focused is responsible uh does not need their hand held and is dedicated to the cause and that's something that i that i have employees that people you know work with me and for me um and it's it's something I've had to micromanage, um, and it, and it doesn't really work for for an artist like myself wearing many different hats. Hmm. So again, it's sort of a, I've been exploring many, many uh, uh, you know different avenues, and those those opportunities have come my way. And I I guess I just sort of had cold feet. What do you mean, um, like find a manager or find an event uh, that's going to help you? I think a, a, man, a manager uh, would be probably the best way for. For something like this to happen mm-hmm. um, another good way for things to happen is to sort of build a relationship with a a, a group uh, that that has an ongoing interest in my brand and likewise mine and theirs uh, that you know that that's sort of trustworthy and responsible and um, and sort of has good intentions so that's that's something I've I sort of brush shoulders with different organizations and I just, everything's been sort of like a, a fleeting type of relationship. Like, come back every two years or three years, that type of thing. Mm. Um, 
But what would you do for this organization? And if you did have that relationship where you could work a steady partnership with them? Well, I, I've, I've, prom I've promoted, uh, I've sort of had like a give and take back and forth type relationship with different organizations where I've, I've promoted them on my music videos. They would pr promote me on their concerts, uh, that type of relationship. You know, they would do fundraising. We would sort of co-promote each other. And um, I guess that's the simplest answer to your question. Um, All right. And the World Word Ministries is a 501c3 nonprofit charity, and you know we're promoting each other right now. <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> uh, the, the world, the world ministry said. The Real Word Ministries Incorporated. That's the. Oh, the Real Word Ministry Incorporated, right? right. Yeah. Okay. So, like, this company in itself is three different companies in one, right? Um, we have mm -hmm. the Real Word Ministries, um, which is a 501c3 public charity, um, which is a nonprofit charity. Um, that has the tax exempt status from the IRS. Um, yeah. We also have the real world reality where dreams become a reality, which is a real estate investment and development company. And of course, we have the real world productions, which is the television and podcast and radio that we're on right now. <laughs> so, so we use our own um, radio and television to promote our own nonprofit organization. So instead of paying other people to do promotion, we just promote on our own platforms that we've grown. Um, back in 2015, um, I did my first sermon, which went viral. And from it going viral, that's how I was able to build a big following online. And then from there, we started to use the popularity of the show to to um, give back to the community. So while people would be watching the show, we'll say, hey, donate. We'll help the community around us. And we have helped the community since 2015 up until now. Um, we've received a lot of recognition for our works, and like you, we've been published in, ser in several publications and been on television as well, but you know when it comes to branding, you have to continue to be consistent, and marketing isn't cheap as well, yeah. <laughs> so as much popularity oh, as we've grown, um, the work is never done, and so with that, I could relate to, to your struggle in finding um, your niche and just getting to that next level. Um, a lot of people call that the breaking point, right? Where you reach the point where you either break or you reach the next level where you have to go. Um, do you feel like you were ever at the breaking point or do you feel like you're currently at that breaking point where you got to get over the hump? <clears throat> um, I, I feel like, um, I've had a, a number of opportunities to sort of break, um, north. Uh, but... If, if I continued making certain decisions that I had been making, but because there was sort of the risk factor involved in terms of just investment and just like the family factor, um, I sort of, what's the word? I sort of took a, put on, put on the brakes a little bit, slowed down and um, tried to keep sort of things stable a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, because I, I guess, I guess, uh, while, while I am a bit of a risk taker mm -hmm. uh, career-wise, I'm not. Uh, I do have people that I'm responsible for. Of course. Uh, so, so I, I've I've had to sort of turn this into a. I've had to turn my business into a very level-headed sort of. Uh, okay, well, what do the numbers look like? What are the you know? I try to get my work distributed over months as opposed to uh, what some people like to do, which is sort of skyrocket and then plummet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Uh, and then kind of gloat about the skyrocketing moments, which is not something I'm really into. Mm. Uh, what do you mean by that? So, 
Uh, well, people like to launch these uh, viral campaigns mm. that sort of blow them up temporarily and then they crash mm -hmm. and burn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, not necessarily burn, but I just, uh, you know, in terms of like financially, people are, people have very short, short attention spans. So yeah, of I've, course. I've noticed through my data, through like over the years that people get excited about you when you're kind of in the limelight and then they forget about you very quickly. Mm -hmm. So um, that, that, that's what I mean by a risk. Uh, and I, I prefer to sort of uh, work on campaigns that are more or less for longevity as opposed to uh, the stock market. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I get it. Yeah, it's something that's evolving. You know, my, my strategies uh, with my team are always evolving. But uh, I've gradually kind of upped my our campaigns, my campaigns. You know, when I collaborate with larger artists, they tend to be, the campaigns tend to be a bit larger. So... Mm -hmm. What do you feel like has been the biggest risk you've taken in your career thus far? I, I mean, making music uh, a full-time career, uh, well, really breaking ties with uh, some of my most stable work. Mm -hmm. Probably a bit one of the bigger risks. Um, literally just like, just, um, I don't want to say I've ghosted people, but uh, people that would sort of reached out to me regularly, I sort of saw it as like, well, this relationship is kind of flatlined and there's a glass ceiling with this relationship and I need to sort of like depart uh, in order to achieve other opportunities that are a little more relevant to my being an independent artist. Mm. So, so I guess you could call it more of a, or less of a, of a shift from being a studio guy to um, being more of a kind of a headliner. No, I understand because that's something that we even went through. Like, even with this platform, I've had several um, co-hosts come and go, and we continue to build on the show. You know, like they always say in showbiz, the show must go on. And you know, sometimes you have to shake a couple people off in order to make it to the next level. And plus, sometimes you gotta let some people go to make space for others. And that's just one of the realities of life. Yeah, uh, business is business, unfortunately. Uh and uh, it's it's a it's a challenging game, and you need to be you need to be you need to work with people who are strategic and and uh, kind of are able to carry the weight of of their responsibilities, as opposed to being carried by by you. So, what do you feel about those that take it personal when you no longer want to associate with them? How did you deal with that? Sometimes you have to take make hard decisions. Um, I don't get overly in, involved with the drama. Uh, I don't, you know, um, there has been drama, like minor drama at different points. It's granted to happen over 2,000 gigs, but uh, for the most part, things have been pretty smooth. It's just been a matter of like, uh, okay, we're going our separate ways and uh, gonna kind of explore other options. Hmm. Yeah. Say for example, there's a kid somewhere upstate New York or even in the city that wants to become a violinist professionally. What advice would you give to him or her? Um, if they want to become a professional violinist, it requires a good deal of skill. So it's not exactly synonymous with uh, making beats, uh, which does also require skill. But in terms of like, uh, you know, there are, there are producers that are, uh, for instance, that are like, that, that, are, that are able to make a career much quicker 
you know, that way as opposed to with the violin. Violin mm -hmm. took me 15 years to get good at. Um, wow, that's honestly, a long time. So if, if somebody wants to become a professional violinist, I would recommend like a number of years of private, private training uh, oh. to, you know, have a, just give themselves a better chance, leg up. Because there is a lot of competition. There's a lot of people graduating from, um, you know, getting their degrees and uh, uh, in in music and going to, going off to Juilliard and you got to compete with people like that. Mm -hmm. It's not so easy. So you got to rehearse, got to practice. Yeah. What school did you go to to study music? Huh. So I, I went to NYU Steinhardt, but uh, really what my education is in music, I pretty much lend my entire experience and my knowledge today to, you know, age two and a half to age not to like 19. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, and then like being in the jazz band at like uh, YU, uh, you know, New York. So, and then playing professionally from since 2001. So that's really where I, I got my skills. Nice, nice. So what made you come on the real word? Because, you know, <laughs> I would ask you these questions and you're like, oh, he was expecting some of these questions. So tell me, what made you come on? Well, uh, I mean, you know, you guys are, are, uh, are in our music. Uh, you're involved with music and entertainment. And uh, that's very much relevant to what I do. You know, I play <laughs> hip-hop music. I play, I play a bunch of different genres. Mm -hmm. um, and... Um, you know, you mentioned you mentioned you did a, a a fundraiser for a fundraiser for for Haiti. Is that correct? Yeah, we did. Um, we did that July thirtieth in Brooklyn, two seventy five Park Ave. We had um, a couple singers, we had a rapper, and we had a live band as well. Um, we also had a DJ fly all the way out from California, from Oakland, California, to come and perform for us. But I, we're planning on having another gala hopefully by the end of the year or early next year and yeah like if you was willing to play that would be awesome I think that would be cool so I've been booked a, um, a number of times to to play uh, events and concerts to fundraise for Haiti mm -hmm. so yeah, previous years so there's obviously a relationship there wow um, yeah. you ever been so well, I've never been there I've never been blessed to to travel there uh, but um, you know, I, I used to teach in the DOE in the South Bronx. Okay, and, nice. Uh, had a bunch of Haitian students, and uh, you know, I had a lot, had a lot of good memories. I taught, taught middle schoolers, kids uh, in high school, four years. Wow, so, you did a lot, like. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you were a violinist. You were, you were yeah. a teacher. You were a nurse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've done a lot, quite a bit. Yeah. Wow. For sure. Out of all of them, yeah, I'm I, guessing the musician is your favorite. Uh, yeah, you know, well, you know, I was, I was, I was a teacher that, uh, you know, with MS three seven and BLA two, but I, I also, uh, in my spare time, I ran a jazz band, so we were jamming along with with uh, the kids. It was it was cute. Mm -hmm. Taught them some piano. And we were just playing some rhythmic music, some pop music, hip hop music. It was, it was good times. Also, oh, you was like a music teacher. I wasn't hired to do, to be a music teacher. I was a biology teacher. That was oh, my wow. degree. Okay, nice. Uh, science education. Yeah, from uh, that's some mess from magic. From uh, my other degree, <laughs> three other degrees. But oh wow, nice. Um, Wait, so I, what's your three uh, degrees then? Tell us. Uh, bio, science education, nursing, 
Yeah, those are the other degrees. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. I, honestly, I went I went in those directions initially that, while I was working my way through, you know, being a club date musician, mm -hmm. I was basically planning on doing those degrees, um, you know, having a nine to five kind of job, and, mm -hmm. and just music is what it, everything defaulted to. Yeah. So you wanted to be like a doctor or something growing up? A nurse and, uh, you know, a nurse practitioner. Uh, yeah, but first I was interested in education. Uh, the politics kind of got too much for me. Uh, I didn't feel like the, the resources were safe. I was spending money out of my own pocket uh, to to run these these science lessons. Uh, mm -hmm. It became too much for me. Uh, On oh, the so South Bronx? What's that? In the South Bronx? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. There's no funding out there. Uh, there's some funding. It's just not enough. And I don't think they value their teachers to the point where they should be, I think, considering like the birth, you know, just you have 150 students. That's that's a significant responsibility. And plus you're managing and you're working with and building relationships with the community and the parents. That's a big deal. Um, yeah, but they don't care because those kids are poor. That's that's what it boils down to, you know? You know, yeah, you know, economics is, is something we could talk about for uh, for the next week. And um, it's something that uh, the government has paid more attention to because of the media, but it's, it's still, there are not enough resources. Yeah. Hence why they're called under-resourced communities. Exactly. I worked in the South Bronx myself as a social worker. I worked there for two and a half years on Jackson Ave off the five train. Um, I worked at the multi-service center, welfare center on Jackson Avenue, located at 630 Jackson Avenue. So I know how, how, how it is to work with a community that's living under the 200% poverty level, living within extreme poverty, extreme trauma, mental health issues. A, lot, health, of, yeah. a lot of the individuals that was um, victims or that were um, a result of the crack era, a lot of people that came home from jail a lot of people that were crackheads or, you know, dealing with addiction back in those days, they now live in those neighborhoods and they're dealing with that. And they're depending on the system, the public assistance to help even keep them alive. Like, they, the public oh, yeah. assistance system pays for their home, their food, um, put yeah. cash in their pockets, every single thing. It's just it's sad to a certain extent. So I uh, understand that. Mm -hmm. that the problem, the problem is transgenerational. It's across generations. The damage that has been done to these communities um, by uh, through the drug addiction. Hmm? By who though? Well, if we, if we want to get, I don't want to get political, but, <laughs> but I, I think you and I kind of have an idea to, to the powers that be that when you got big when you have big money and big influence and big profits mm. at risk, uh, certain decisions at the government level, at the federal level are made at the expense of people who do not have the same influence or clout uh, when it comes to lobbying. So yeah, we can talk about lobbyists and, and money. I think everybody's kind of has a clear idea of that now. Um, but the da again, the damage is done. Uh, the damage is actually continuing to be, to be done uh, across the nation, not even just at the um, low SES, like low under-resourced uh, neighborhoods mm -hmm. level, but it's also being done at the middle class level. Um, mental health is, is a crisis in this country. Yeah. Uh, big time. I'm going to play this uh, one song that I was telling you about, and then we're going to yeah. do closing thoughts, and then we're going to close out because we're running out of yeah. time. But here's the song. Listen okay. to it.
I know you hear the violin, right? I don't hear anything. I don't hear anything. Oh, wow. Hold on. Well, I hear you, but I don't... What about now? Nothing. Oh, man. Maybe it's a setting. Nah, if you can hear me, you can hear Rich. Well, you don't hear it at all? Oh, man, that's weird. Okay. Uh, I, could, I don't know how to fix it. It could be music. I may, may have settings set up where music is. No, no, no. It's playing in my background, so you would hear it. But that's Forget About Dre. But it starts off with a thing, 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 thing. But it's the violin playing. Okay. So. Wait, can, can you try that one more time? All right. Actually, just, give, just give me one second. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Just change the setting. No, got nothing. Sorry. It's probably filtering it out. Oh, okay. No problem. Sorry. It's alright. Yeah. Um, so if you could leave the people with a closing thought, what would it be? Uh, I should really think about these things more carefully because I'm asked this question like all the time. I'm like, hmm. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's, there's a lot of kind of message I, messages I'd like to sort of relay from my own experiences just in the music industry. Um, but I would say that, you know, you mentioned, oh, wow, you, you know, you got all these degrees, you had all these other, like, kind of lives, experiences, and now you're doing music. Um, I, it took a lot of time for me to sort of discover myself, and I, I guess I'm going to say that people are sort of trying to figure, figure out what makes them happy. Uh, don't, I guess it's just, I'm going to recommend, while you want to be practical, that it, it's it, probably one of the best decisions I could have made in retrospect would have been to just find out what I truly enjoy, what I truly love, what speaks to me, what speaks to my heart. Because whatever I was going to decide to do years ago, I was going to have to put 120% of my effort into it in order for it to work. Yeah, of course. Whether it's like nursing or education or music. So really just find what you're, what you're good at, what you're passionate about, and, and uh, you know, go for it. And while you're at it, spread some love around the world because we can use that. Of course, of course. All right. So I thank you, Asher, for coming on the show, of course. Shout out to everybody for watching. Shout out to everybody for supporting. Shout out to everybody that has helped us to get this far so far. Once again, if you want to donate, check us out on PayPal. Just put in the Real Word Ministries on the PayPal Giving Fund. Also, if you want to do Cash App, that's dollar sign, the Real Word Inc. That's the dollar sign, the Real Word, W-O-R-D-I-N-C. You can also catch us on um, GoFundMe.com backslash the Real Word. Um, we also, everywhere where charity is found, you can find us. We are a 501c3 nonprofit charity. We will be going to Haiti this weekend, so we'll see you when we come back. Or we might even do a live episode out there. You never know. Just like how we went live in Vegas. So shout out to all of you for watching. Shout out to all of you for supporting. We close out with a quick word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment of time. We thank you for this opportunity to be here amongst you. We thank you for all of our continued supporters, our viewers that continue to watch. We ask you to bless our brother Asher that came on today. Um, continue to bless his music career, bless his family, bless his marriage, bless everything that he touches, bless his work. Continue to multiply all his efforts. Um, allow his dreams to manifest and to come to fruition so that he can be a living testament to your glory. In the name of Yahshua, the Son, Jesus, we, we pray to our Holy Father. Amen. Shout out to everybody watching. Shout out to all of you. Good night and God bless you. Thank you. All right, people. Take care. It's the real world.